Netfront Presence is brought to you by Closets by Design. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Imagine your home totally organized. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Welcome to Netfront Presence. I'm Jeff Gordon of the Post-Dispatch, joined by Matthew DeFranks from Sunsplashed Winnipeg, where our heroes are about to play a tough back-to-back stretch. Matthew, a little bit of news. You go up to the Motown to, to get your Little Caesars pizza and such, and uh, yikes, the Blues got jumped early, uh, particularly uh, Robert Thomas and, uh, and uh, Jordan Cairo and the Pavel Buchnevich line, and uh, kind of a disastrous game, and uh, Drew Bannister uh, sent a message. Yeah, that was uh, one of the worst games of the season. I think there is some recency bias when – we we looked at you know worst and best games of the season, uh, but that one in Detroit six one lost the Red Wings behind three nothing after five and a half minutes four nothing after the first period, uh, that one is is up there. I mean there's that that two game stretch back in November where they lost to the Sharks and then they lost to the Kings uh, both in pretty ugly fashion. Uh, that one might be the only maybe contender or maybe that one after Thanksgiving against Nashville. Um, where they kind of fell flat, but Saturday was, was a rough go. And uh, there were really kind of just errors everywhere uh, when you look at the first period and, and what happened and, you know, between, you know, neutral zone coverage or offensive zone turnovers, or even putting a puck in off of, off of someone else. Um, the power play was, you know, Perunovic falls and Bennington takes a penalty. Like there was just so much that went wrong for the blues that period. And it didn't really get a ton better <laughs> in the final 40 minutes either. So definitely one that was uh, disappointing for, for the blues and kind of continued this little downswing that they've had since winning, uh, I believe seven of eight. So uh, yeah, def- definitely a, a rough one for them. And as you mentioned, a, a rougher one for you know, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Kasperi Kapanen as well. Uh, all benched in the third period to to different extents. Uh, Thomas and Kyra each had one shift, and Kapanen didn't have any. And you know, after the game, Drew Bannister said that he would address it with the players individually. And we talked to him after practice yesterday, and he he said he did, and um, that the the message has needed to be sent, um, and that the expectation has been set. You know, if you don't reach certain levels of competitiveness or efforts uh you're just not going to see the ice and that's kind of the message that uh that drew bannister sent well jordan cairo's gotten that message a lot so nothing new for him to hear it from the coach you know whichever coach uh he had uh with the blues but this was a this is a new territory somewhat new territory for robert thomas who's really emerged as a as a strong all-around player uh, for a young player he's certainly one of their their team leaders he's their cornerstone going forward for, for him to get a spanking like this, um, a bit more unusual, and I'm sure a little harder to take, because unlike Cairo, he's not used to hearing this. Yeah, and it's he's having the, the best season of his career, right? And he was coming off of a three-assist game against the Islanders. He's been their number one center. To, to me, he's the only untouchable guy in the organization because of his age, his production, his contract, everything about what he does is a good thing for the organization right now. And to, to see him kind of be relegated to, you know, bench door opener was uh, not probably a good thing. And 
Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't know how he feels about it. Uh, we haven't spoken to him yet about it. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't uh, wasn't a fun or, or happy to a lucky weekend uh, for Robert Thomas. And uh, we'll see how he kind of bounces back today in, in Winnipeg. But yeah, as you mentioned, like just not something you expect out of out of him, you know, because he is such a pivotal player in all situations uh, to have him be benched for pretty much a whole period. Yeah, I think the, when you look back at what happened, you know, it was so easy for that line against the Islanders. I mean, they were just getting little resistance so they could skate and pass and deke and, you know, pass some more. And, you know, they were just basically the Islanders didn't defend them. Um, and it was a super easy game for those guys. They could have had even more points that line. And I guess there's always that danger when it's easy. Then <laughs> that game was over before it started for that group as they got jumped in Detroit. A team, by the way, the Red Wings were playing really well during the new year. So they, they could they shouldn't have been surprised that Detroit was would come out and play well with getting getting Kane back, getting the Brinkett going a little bit. Uh, and just they've been playing well since the since the turn of the new year. But I guess when it's easy one night, it can sure be bad, uh, should really hard the next night. Yeah, and I think that's more of the surprising thing because, you know, we talked about Thomas and I think I counted it was 21 points in this 13 games before, you know, Saturday. And uh, you look at Cairo and he'd kind of been starting to heat up goal scoring wise. Um, it hadn't always been there this year, we know, but kind of been getting going recently. And you would think that maybe their recent play had kind of given him a little bit more grace, but that wasn't the case. And and I also wonder, you know, if this was a closer game, is the message still being sent? You know, if it's 3-1, does does that still happen? I mean, in Tampa, when when they bench Bannett or <laughs> when they benched uh, Buchnevich, um, that was also another blowout game where you're not really – you don't really have much to lose if you bench someone in a blowout game. You know the result is what it is. And at that point, you're just trying to, to set up for the future, right? Um, but if the game was 3-1, to one, if the performances were all the same, and I'm not saying that it was the goaltender's fault, I'm not, but let's say you get three more saves. Let's say they made three acrobatic stand-on-your-head saves, and suddenly it's 3-1 to one instead of 6-1. to one. Does this still happen? Um, I don't know, but... It wasn't three to one. It was six to one, and it <laughs> did happen. So, time to see how they uh, react moving forward. And you know, the good news is, you know, when Buchnevich happened, happened in December, he came back two goals, one assist against Florida the next game. When Scandella was stretched for three games, he came back, and he's been a, a mainstay on the on the blue line since. You know, to a much much lesser extent. You know, like Joel Hofer got the start coming out of Christmas break. He got the start coming out of All Star break. And Jordan Bennington played really elite hockey, to be quite honest, uh, in those stretches following that. So not that that was the same message that this is, but when guys have seen their position be challenged, they've responded well so far. When you look at uh, the captain, and unfortunately, it's just uh, it's just been a non-productive year. There's stretches where he's playing okay and doing some good things, being where he's supposed to be, skating and such. But just just not producing at all. Um, in a sense, when he's benched, it's, you don't really notice it as much because his role is diminished, and he's not doing a lot when he's out there. Uh, yeah, it's a tough deal for him because he's running out of time to make his case for further NHL employment. That that sounds harsh, but uh, you know, in this situation that we're in with the the league and with older players and guys who aren't productive, 
you know, that's a hard reality. You know, this is a guy they're not only not going to get anything for at the trade deadline. Um, he's got to worry about getting in camp with somebody next year if this continues. Yeah, and he's kind of the the prototypical guy when you look at the point totals and you say, well, you know, he does other things on the ice, and he does. He does bring some speed to the forecheck. He he does penalty kill. He does you know, some certain things in the game that won't show up uh, in goals and, and assists, but when you're getting paid, you know, 3.2 million, there's a 3.25, whatever it is, you're expected to contribute a little bit more. Uh, I think last year when the blues claimed him on waivers, uh, you know, the question to Doug Armstrong was, how do you square his production with his cap hit? And his, his response was, well, he's a half point a game player. I'm not sure they get much cheaper than that. And that was kind of the expect expectation, right? That he would come in, be a half point player, be a 40 point guy throughout a whole season and produce in the second or third line. And that just hasn't been the case this year. The production is just not there. Uh, I think he's had four goals in the season, one goal in his last, I want to say 35 games. Um, so that's not good. <laughs> no. And uh, the fact that he hasn't seen you know, regular power play time in yeah, probably three months now. Um, he's kind of been, I don't want to say a, a misfit in, in the top six, but when you look at what Jake Neighbors has provided, even Shen, when he got hot in late January, uh, you know, and obviously the top line, what they do production-wise normally, he, he doesn't really fit with the rest of that group there. And that's why I think we've seen some some Zach Boltuk recently. And, um, you know, Kapanen, I don't know if he could if he would fit on a on a minimum deal next year somewhere, um, but he's going to be taking a pay cut regardless of, of where he ends up playing. Yeah, before we get to some positives like Bull Duke, I just want to touch on one more negative, and it's uh, Kevin Hayes. Boy, it's uh, again non productive. There's some things he can do for you for sure um, with his size and certain matchup situations, certain elements that he can bring to the game for sure. Uh, protecting the puck and such, uh, walls, wall play uh, when he's there, when he can get to the puck. But, you know, again, he's getting this, this same type of coin as uh, as, as Kapanen, right? And you just, at some point, particularly now that he's got some term left, even with uh, Philly eating uh, what Philly is eating, um, it's shaping up as problematic for a team that's in the sort of scenario the Blues are. Yeah, and he's, you know, as you mentioned, they they would want more from from him right now. I mean, uh, 22 points on the year, 10 goals, 12 assists. And the 10 goals really came uh, a lot early. Uh, he's got one goal since mid-December, uh, and that's just not good enough. And it's the odd thing for him is that this is kind of similar to what happened last year in Philadelphia. I mean, he was their, their leading scorer about halfway through the season. He was their all-star uh, but then to close the season, he just went on a brutal cold streak that was, I don't know if it was one or zero goals in the last you know, 30, 40 games, but it was something bad. <laughs> and we're closely we're, we're closely getting to that territory where he's got one goal in his last 27. Uh, that, that that line that he had with, uh, with Saad, and uh, I believe it was, I want to say it was Kapanen, I you know, a week or two, or two ago was playing fourth line minutes. They were playing behind that Sunquist line. And uh, yeah, it, the Kapanen thing is one 
one thing, but you can kind of get over it knowing that this is the last year. They took a chance on him last year. He's going to be a UFA this year. But the Hayes thing, you know, this is one of those things they have to get him going because he's got two more years after this, right? And even with the reduced cap hit, it's still three and a half, which is what you'd expect out of a third-line center, but he's not really producing even quite like that. I mean, Torpchenko might be might be having just as many goals as, as Kevin Hayes uh, by the end of the season. Uh, yeah, Torpchenko has nine, Hayes has ten. Uh, so not quite what you, what you want out of him. And even Sundquist is 21 points and Hayes has 22. So when your fourth line is kind of competing with your third line right there for uh, in production, it's not not a good thing. Well, scoring depth is a huge issue for the team, and uh, it will be going forward. So the fact that uh, Zach Bolduc's getting an early look is is encouraging. We talked before on the net front just the last go-around that his play had been yeah. better. You know his progress uh, down at Springfield. The American Very prescient. And then, yeah, and then sure enough, boom, he's he's up. Uh, not hard to like his offensive skills. Um, and Braden Shen seems to enjoy playing with the kids, but – uh, you know, what do you see there? And, you know, what's a realistic expectation? Mine would be that he plays for a while, then goes back to the A to uh, once he got his taste, because this is the NHL and this next stretch of schedule is quite difficult. However, this team does need some scoring punch. Yeah. And I think there will be a wall that he hits, right? We see it with a lot of call ups where they come up, they play a solid week or two, and then after that, I think you lose some of that that newness, that edge that that you bring, that hunger, and your game kind of can dip a little bit. Um, you know, I think we saw that with with guy like Matt Kessel. Uh, he he played really really well for about a month, and in the last couple of weeks has kind of dipped off, tailed tailed off recently with his puck play and decision making and um, stuff like that. And with Bolduke, I I don't know if that's going to come, but it. it does come for a lot of young players, right? And to see him get his first goal on Saturday, that's a that's a good thing, big thing. Just to see him kind of build some confidence. Uh, he played twenty three shifts, which was the most out of any Blues forward. And I'm sure, I mean, sure, some of that was because of the the benchings and and dropping down to nine forwards in the third period. But he did the he did his best with those minutes. Um, he's been on the power play late in the last two games. Uh, both blowouts, but he's still got a little bit of taste on the power play. And he's been kind of rotating through a bunch of different lines, depending on situations, uh, special teams and things like that. And right now the roster is, is at 23, right? Like the, the blues don't have to wait for an injured guy to get back anymore. You know, Fox back and uh, you know, they don't have Rosen anymore. They don't have Kessel anymore. Like, they have the 23 man roster that they don't need to tweak if they don't have to. Right. So I, I don't think Alexandrov and Blay are taking Zach Bolduc's spot <laughs> at this point in the season. Right. So it'll be up to Zach if he continues to to play well and the coaches have liked what he's done. I think he'll kind of stay up here, but if he tails off like some of the younger guys we've seen, it doesn't hurt to send him back to the AHL. Imagine your home totally organized. Closets by Design is offering 40% off plus free installation. Schedule your free consultation today. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN for details. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN.
Well, as Drew Bannister noted yesterday, you, you know, even in practice, you know, you're seeing things that, you know, he needs that Drew's pointing out that needs details of the game are so much more important here uh, in the NHL. I mean, the comp competition level is so much higher. So not only had a chance to play a couple games, but you know, also had a chance to go through a pretty intense practice where everything was being scrutinized. Uh, interesting that uh, the intensity of the practice and also that the general manager, Doug Armstrong, was intently watching from his uh, his luxury suite out at Centene. Uh, he was keeping it very clear. He moved up to the window to, to and looked down over some of the compete drills. So, uh, you know, Zach, getting a taste of, of it. And, it, and again, this is a two-track season, and he's clearly on the future track. And it's important to, to use this time. Whatever happens to this team the rest of the way, and they're still trying to get into the playoffs, they've got to use this season also for the long haul, to prepare for the long haul. And and that was a great example. You know, you're in a blowout game, just roll the kid, see what he does. Yeah, and I think the the other thing that, that we mentioned in the last podcast is that he's probably ahead of schedule right now being in the NHL. Like, like a week ago, we – thought that he would just be in Springfield for the rest of the season and that was going to be okay. Uh, he developed uh, since the rough start to the season down there and he kind of gotten going and you liked where he was at and the success he was having and that was going to be okay for, for the Blues. If you just had him developing and getting ready to to make a real run next year uh, at a roster spot for out of training camp. But now you see him in the NHL and you say, well, he's a little bit ahead of schedule. So it's not, it it's still not a bad thing to to have him go back if he needs to. Um, but as long as he's scoring goals, uh, the Blues will take that. Yeah, this is much better than trying to assess a guy in a preseason game against a half of an NHL roster. Yeah. You throw him out in one of these games, uh, This and I assume he's, he'll probably play both of them uh, on this uh, little road swing, but these are two really tough opponents. Yeah, tough trip. So, yeah, let's see what you got, youngster. So that's a positive. Now, we talked a lot yesterday at the rink there about um, um, Kessel. You know, just an inevitable reality check for Matt Kessel playing, uh, like Drew Bannister said, look, we're playing him fourth, you know, top four minutes. You know, he's a rookie, uh, limited experience, and we're playing. We're not easing him in here. He's He had to play top four minutes given the circumstances. And just it was interesting to hear, uh, Drew explained what he thought was going was starting to go wrong with Matt, you know, where he you know, maybe trying to do too much basically. And, and being in his situation where he needed to absolutely needed to keep it simple and, and direct to at this level to stay in the lineup. And he started maybe to try to do too much and press and, and uh, bad things happen. Yeah. It, it seemed to be a run of like bad luck a few weeks ago. Um, he had, that play in Buffalo where he tries to clear a puck and goes off Sundquist skate and into the net. He had that play in Toronto where Nylander shoots and it goes off of Kessel's stick and in the net. And um, you know, those are those are rough, rough things that happen. And he's had some turnovers that didn't amount to anything because of the goaltending behind him. Uh, but the the one play in Detroit that was uh, probably a tough to swallow was that two on one in the first period where. Uh, the Rasmussen goal with Raymond coming with him and he doesn't play the, the pass or the shot and, and it's in the back of the net. And that's a tough one to swallow for him. I'm sure particularly because he's a Michigan guy. He had a lot of family in the building in Detroit on Saturday. And uh, to have that kind of be the, the first foot you put forward is a, uh, is a rough go. And, you know, that wasn't the only thing that's going on in the last few weeks, as we mentioned, but it, it's 
he's gone from being really dependable, making really simple plays, smart plays, um, to not doing that as often. And when you get a guy like, like Justin Falk back and you have Scandella playing well and, and you would clearly want Perunovic in the lineup, um, it, it doesn't leave a, a ton of space there. Um, obviously, Crude um, has played a little bit better, and I know some fans want him scratched for Matt Kessel, but in a realistic world, that's just not – that's just not going to happen in, in this sort of world. So um, he was an option that was an easy option as well because he was waivers exempt. Um, they only had a handful of guys that they could send down without having to wave. And that's, you know, the Bull Duke and Neighbors, Hofer, and none of those guys have realistically been yeah, too bad to, to send down. So it ended up being Castle and it's just a numbers game and uh, we'll see him back, but the thing is, he's he's proved a lot in those twenty-two games uh, that he could kind of stick around uh, once the next season rolls around. Yeah, doesn't doesn't much question at all that he'll be a permanent fixture next year in sub capacity because uh, Marco Scandella won't be here in the final year of the contract, for instance. And Doug Armstrong will continue to look for a way to move one of the other defensemen if there's any way humanly possible, just to try to realign his group and get younger on the blue line. For Kessel, Kessel to come up when he, when he did and play the role he did for as long as he did, getting those minutes, matching up night after night against top lines. I mean, night after night, he has to go out there. And, yeah, he got it's tough to see him get caught on the island in Detroit. I mean, it's a bad day for a lot of guys, but yeah. that's also worse when you get caught out there and you just don't take the shooter or the, you don't get the pass either. <laughs> Your goal is like, dude, you got to do something. <laughs> something for me here. Take away something here. And he just got caught. But nonetheless um, – really important for his career. He's a guy that's elevated himself to be a, you know, I think on a, on this team, a six or a seven, you'd be really happy uh, if uh, if your defense is good enough to allow uh, him to be in that role. And as on an entry-level contract for a couple of years uh, or, or a similar type pay, limited pay, I mean, that'll be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Like he, he did well with his top four minutes, but that's probably not where he projects long-term. Um, if you're looking at him as a as a bottom pair guy that can be reliable and uh, kill the occasional penalty penalty, uh, you're you're going to be okay. But I don't think he kind of projects as you know that top four ceiling. All right, good news. Justin Falk is able to uh, come back from this injury. In the paper shuffle, he had been put on the the, the longer term uh, IR, but uh, now he is uh, he's recovered. He's had a couple of things go wrong here. Been a really good player. Maybe this isn't his best year to say the least i guess as a blue he's had one really good year and and some you know just okay or or perhaps good uh not that level for him this year but an important player and playing important minutes if he can come back um this will be good because again this stretch coming up the road trip you're on a tough game when they come home and then you know a very tough uh road swing after that they're going to need justin fall yeah and it's it's tough for for me to uh, you know, to think about everything good that he he did in the early parts of the season because he's been injured so much recently. And when he did come back from that first injury in January, that was a rough go. Th those five games were were not very good for him um, in terms of you know, turning the puck over, mismanagement, uh, uh, defending. Just wasn't the Justin Falk that we got accustomed to seeing. Uh, I mean, last year he was probably their best defenseman, right? And early on this year, uh, he was okay. And 
if if they want to be serious about making the playoffs and uh, putting some wins together in this really really tough stretch honestly uh, <laughs> a quick side note on the stretch like i didn't looking at the, the schedule you don't really realize uh how difficult it, it might be until you say okay at at detroit and then you have you know winnipeg and edmonton are tough games uh minnesota is suddenly a, a huge game given where they are in the standings and then you go on the road for five games and, and you have eight of nine on the road uh against some pretty tough western conference teams that are in your in the playoff race or at the top of or fighting for the top of the, the division and then you go out east and you have a, the longest road trip of the season so the schedule is tough and if they want to get through this they're going to need some a lot of different guys to contribute and they're going to hope that Justin Falk is one of them. When you look ahead to next week, um, and it's something I'm going to write about for tomorrow, is, uh, you know, there used to be – the trade, de trade deadline's a thing, and I think it's going to be an active year this year, uh, given the circumstances for some teams, maybe not so much for the Blues. Um, but fans, you know, have to re remember that, man, it is so much different than it used to be back in the old days, uh, before the salary cap, before – you know, most good veterans got some level of no trade protection in their contract. That's become quite common. Those two elements uh, has has really made have really made it difficult for general managers to do what they used to do, which was just go crazy. Uh, so I, when I look, you look at the Blues between the guys that have no trade protections and the guys that don't have any value with you know expiring contracts. Um, it's not this is not the most agonizingly uh, tense time for this team. Uh, ahead of the deadline, unlike perhaps if there's a few other teams that maybe are have more things to look at, like Calgary with their situation, which is like the Blues last year. But but it's just not a. It, it could be a pretty quiet um, ten days or so here. Yeah, um, you know, to to me, the the standings shouldn't have an impact on what the Blues do next week. Um, I think at this point, we all know what this team is and it's not a Stanley Cup contender even if they are in the playoff hunt even if they do get back in a playoff spot we know what they are to to me Doug Armstrong has to make his decisions based on you know what is the price right now for some of his assets and what might the price in the future be for some of his assets so if we take you know Pavel Buchnevich for example uh, who's a guy you've written about Gordo uh, if the difference between this year and next year, uh, trade wise, is not big enough. Uh, you know, I think you know, Doug Armstrong looks at it and says, "We'll we'll keep him then, and we'll reevaluate in the summer, or reevaluate at the trade deadline next year." Uh, these are things that he doesn't have to do um, if he doesn't feel like the return is there, and the standings shouldn't really have an impact on on those types of decisions. Uh, I think. Uh, who knows if it actually does and what message you're sending to to the group if you do kind of take uh, future bits uh, off of the roster. But to me, we know at this point what the team is and Doug Armstrong should know what the what the team is right now. And it's just about evaluating what he could get right now versus what he could get in the summer, what he could get at the deadline next year. Or, you know, if the opportunity to 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 trade these players might go away in the future. What does he do right now? So, yeah, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of rentals that are coming off of this team. You know, Blake, Kapanen, Verana, Scandella, Sunquist, 
Um, not all big needle movers, you know, if you're getting a fourth or fifth round pick, sixth round pick for a Sunquist or a Scandella, it's not going to be a huge thing. Um, and if you're in the playoff race, does, does a fourth or fifth round pick even, even matter to you? Or is it worth more to, to try to keep the group together? I don't know for, for those rentals at least, but for the futures, you have to evaluate what the future market could be and what you're getting right now. I think that's the decision that Doug Armstrong has to make. Yeah, I think they really, again, to go back to what I've always said here, I think the only way he makes a purchase is obviously not going to derail his uh, big picture retooling. But if there's an opportunity to somehow, some way, get a, a young defenseman in his prime to add to that element uh, of the roster to balance up, knowing that he's got a lot of forwards coming uh, in the uh, developmental pipeline, but not, not so many defensemen. If there's a way to do that, and I don't know that there is, I guess that might be the only thing he would look at in terms of maybe um, making a hockey trade or or even using some future asset to get something in the near term. But it would have to be something that makes sense for a lot of years for this team, not not yeah. for this year and next year, but for a lot of years. And those guys are so hard to find that if he had a chance to get one, I suppose he might. But um, good luck because it seems like every team in the league is looking for a defenseman, and and every every team in the league would love to have another prime age defenseman. Yeah, and it's like. We talked about this a little bit last podcast too, but there are teams out there with more defensive prospects than than forward, and they don't have that balance. Uh, you look at uh, New Jersey and what they have back there with uh, with with Nemich and and Hughes and the young guys they have there. Uh, Buffalo is in a kind of a different situation where they're a little bit older, but they do have a lot of D back there. That if they miss the playoffs again this year, which it looks like they will what what do they try to do to, to change the mix up uh columbus has a new gm and what do they do with your chick uh even detroit uh you know they have edvinson and uh and axel sandy and palinka you know what do they try to do as they transition from a rebuild to, to going for the playoffs and it looks like they'll make the playoffs this year and how do they build on that next year do they want older players while they're willing to trade a younger d and we know doug armstrong and uh Steve Eiserman have a history of trading together. So there are teams out there that do have younger defensive prospects that maybe could be looking to either change their group or change their timeline. Uh, and maybe it's, it becomes a fit for the blues, but as we saw with the, the Jamie Drysdale trade price is high. And when, when Drysdale is, is regarded as a, as a top defensive prospect and he takes one of the top prospects in, in the world to, to go the other way um that's a high price so we'll see how it kind of develops but it seems that there are teams out there that you know, who knows whether they're willing to but it seems like some teams are in a transition i'm thinking back to eiserman um i scratched my head when he traded ronick and uh pretty good player and i mean he's been put into a pretty good role in vancouver to say the least on a team that's go go but uh, that a guy like that would would look good if there's any guy like that that would be available to add to this mix. Um, yeah, I mean the, the Blues have Quinn Hughes too. <laughs> yeah, that worked <laughs> out. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good landing. Yeah, there, right. So that's pretty good. I'll just sit back here and just let this cat do what he does, and I'll rack up the plus because when he's on the ice, the team scores. So, but anyways, and the other thing is, I, I'm shocked that, and I think I don't think anything happens, but boy, all this chit chat about Pedersen because. He's going to want stupid money in Vancouver. Vancouver wonders if it has stupid money to spend after locking in Miller, who was worth the money. 
So uh, teams calling and saying, you, should, you know, you want, you're going to give up Pedersen. I don't think they would, but that's probably the wildest thing I've heard ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah. Especially like this season for Vancouver, they're going for it. He's their top center. Like there's no, not a chance. And he's just an RFA. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. Uh, next year, you're going to offer sheet them. They'll, they'll match. They'll find a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. The offer sheet would have to be like 14 million for, for them not to match. Right. Like it, it's, it's, it'd have to be, you have to pay way over market value. All right. Well, that's Matthew DeFranks. I'm Jeff Gordon. This has been Net Front Presence. A reminder that you can get all of our extra content that's not in the print edition, which is a fine product, but we also have on the interwebs a ton of stuff, tons and tons of video. Uh, lots of uh, our podcasts, of course, we're covering all of our sports with podcast videos, extra content. So a reminder that if you're catching us through your podcast app, that you do want to check out sdltoday.com, our web version of the Post-Dispatch, uh, and our app version on your on your smartphone or your tablet. So do check it out if you haven't already. There's a ton of stuff out there. For Matt, I'm Jeff. Until next time, see ya. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.